Morning, everyone. Thank you very much, Roy. Really appreciate it. You'd think you'd done that before. Let me, uh, let me show you three words. Rights, responsibilities, and freedom. Three buzzwords, three ideas, three concepts that mean so much in our culture and context. And this morning, as we continue our church uh, in the city series, we're going to confront all three. And we're going to discover how they relate to Christian life and living. And so here, if you like, in a sense, is, is what I'm about to share in a nutshell. And I'm not going to speak for as long as usual this morning. So do re relax if you've got kids. I I'm going to keep this reasonably brief. But here it is all in a nutshell. As Christians, when it comes to your rights, you're probably going to have to surrender some for the sake of others. When it comes to responsibility you're definitely going to have to accept a lot for the sake of others. And when it comes to freedom, you definitely need to use it for the sake of others. Rights, you're going to have to surrender some for the sake of others. Responsibility, you're going to have to accept lots for the sake of others. Freedom, you're going to have to use it for the sake of others. I realize there are lots of people away at the moment and quite a few visitors, so please do let me just set the scene. For the past couple of months, we have been reading Paul's first letter to this first century church in the city of Corinth, and we've been trying to look at what are some of the, the big issues that Paul speaks into so that we can discover what we can learn as a 21st century church in the city of Belfast. And one of the core lessons that we have learned is that unity matters. Really, really matters. Not only for how we do church, or rather how we are church together within these walls, but also in terms of our witness. Unity matters. Our evangelism. And how we seek to be a church without walls. As people look in, do they see a community as one who love each other, care about each other, look out for each other? Unity is really important. And so Paul's opening and, and rather passionate appeal to the church in Corinth is, is an honest and a heartfelt request that we at Windsor want to take seriously. And the reason we want to take it seriously is actually this affects almost everything we do within here and out there. And so here's the appeal. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, says Paul, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you will be in agreement and that there'll be no divisions among you, but you will be united in the same mind and the same purpose. Unity really matters. And as the letter continues, Paul addresses various issues that actually threat, threaten to undermine or wreck this unity. Last week, we, uh, we looked at chapter 4, where Paul talked about how leaders should be regarded. And one of the problems at Corinth was... And this was creating division and disunity. But one of the problems was that, that people were elevating certain leaders, certain preachers, certain teachers above 
others. They were boasting who was best. And it was causing cliques and factions. And so Paul clarified how leaders are meant to be regarded. And he actually said you should regard leaders as three things. Now a bit of congregational participation. Can anybody who was here last week, and please, please somebody, can anybody tell me the three things as how we should regard leaders as three things? Servants, guides, faithful. Thank you. That's how we are meant to regard leaders. Leaders, that's how we are, hope we are meant to be regarded. Servants, guides, faithful. And at the end of chapter 4, Paul comes out with an outrageous phrase. He says, imitate me. But as we identified last Sunday, he was only able to say that because he was imitating Christ. And as we come to chapter 9 this morning, which contains one of the most famous statements Paul ever said, there is a very definite sense that Paul is giving this church in Corinth and us as a church in Belfast a brilliant example of how to maintain unity and how to reach out and how to evangelize and how to grow a local church. Now, before we unpack this chapter, some of you might be thinking, if you weren't here last week, hang on a minute. If you looked at chapter 4 last week, how come you've jumped to chapter 9? What about 5, 6, 7, and 8? Well, as I explained last week, some of the material that is contained in those chapters, particularly chapters 5, 6, and 7, just would not be appropriate to look at in depth during July whenever junior church are in with us. But I will come back to those chapters. In fact, according to some of you during coffee break, I had better come back to those chapters. Uh, so maybe after my sabbatical, but by that time, everybody will have forgot about them. So it's okay. So if you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's page 1150 in the Pew Bibles. Let me, let me continue to set a bit of the scene. In chapter 8, Paul has had to tackle this issue, the issue of rights. And the specific right that some people were getting a bit wound up about was the right to eat whatever you liked. Now, this wasn't in response to the latest departmental report on healthy eating and the need to reduce your sugar and salt intake. This was in relation to whether or not it was right to eat certain food, and particularly meat, that may have been sacrificed to idols and was now on a market stall available to purchase. Some Christians in Corinth felt that a piece of meat was just a piece of meat. And what happened to it before it arrived on your plate was irrelevant. Whereas others were a bit uncomfortable, in fact, offended by the idea that this particular piece of meat may have been offered up to another god, small g. And this was definitely an issue with the potential to create disunity. 
People were falling out over this. And so what Paul effectively says is this. Although you may have the right to eat whatever you like, and you do, you've got to be really careful and think of others. You've got to think of others. You've got to make sure that exercising your right doesn't mess with somebody else's faith and discipleship. And so there may be occasions whenever the correct thing to do is not to act out on your right. Sacrifice certain rights in order to avoid being a stumbling block. And as we get into chapter 9, Paul explains how he personally practiced this principle. There's no point, you know, teaching on these things if you're then not going to speak into how you live it out. One of the reasons why he could say, imitate me. You see, as an apostle, Paul had rights. He had every right to be fully supported by the church. It even says he had every right to have a wife and to take her with him on his travels. No comment. To walk away, I have the right, he says, to walk away from any kind of paid employment and actually depend on you to support me financially. I have every right to do that. However, says Paul, I've surrendered lots of those rights. I've laid them down. For example, we know he kept working as a tent maker to earn cash, which meant that he didn't take a penny from this church. And as we pick up the text in verse 12, we discover why. And so, as we often do here at Windsor, let's stand for the public reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 12. Here he says, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. In fact, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no one, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak 
to win the weak, then the big phrase. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Grab a seat. So Paul says, do you know something? I would rather die than accept payment for the gospel. He announces it, he shares it, and he communicates it for free. Now, it's really important we set this in context. Some people have taken this comment, ripped it out of its setting, and decided that it means that anybody who preaches or teaches or communicates the gospel should never be paid or given a gift. And if they should, it should be next to nothing. Expenses only, token gesture. Now, talking about this issue as someone who gets paid by a church, right, is slightly uncomfortable and unnerving, but I can't duck the issue. I've got to deal with it. Paul here, you see, is presenting a role model. He's presenting a role model for Christians to follow, but not regarding money. Hear this. Not regarding income, not regarding being supported by a church or a group of Christians. Just look at verse 14, never mind the rest of the chapter we did not. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So, it's not the issue. Money, finances, being paid is not the primary focus. That's not the example he's setting for everyone to follow. The key issue at stake, the big lesson Paul wants to get across, concerns rights. He's offering up a model of someone with certain rights who's willing to give them up for a specific reason. That's the model. That's the example. Paul, as an apostle, has every right to be paid. If you look at verse 5, he makes the point, listen, all the other apostles get paid. Paul's every right to be paid. But he's made a decision, and there's only one other, by the way, who made this decision. But he's made the decision to continue as a tent maker and preach and teach for free. As an example of someone who's prepared to surrender their rights for the sake of others, for the benefit of others. And this is the really important thing here. Now, I'm not going to go into this in a huge amount of detail. I'm not going to start specifying what rights we need to be laying down for the sake of others. Lots of people have done that. Lots of people do that. I'm not sure it's always that helpful. What we've got to do is we've got to wrestle with God's word and apply this to our lives and our situation. We've got to look at what are some of the rights I have as a Christian. Yes, I'm right to do this. But you know something? I'm choosing not to. I'm surrendering that right for the sake of others. For the benefit of someone else. Look at verse 18. What then is my reward? Just this. That in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. And it begs the question, are we prepared to give up certain rights for the sake of others? Particularly for those who are weaker than we are and who are struggling more than we are. Are we prepared to do this? Do we care? 
Or do we just say, do you know, it's my right. <laughs> it's my right to do this. It's an interesting question, and, and as Paul continues to challenge their thinking, he then turns to the associated issue of freedom, which, which goes along with this. You see, the Corinthian Christians prided themselves in being free. For some, that meant they were now free from Jewish laws. For others, or for all of them, it meant they were free from sin and the corruption of this world, which in a sense is our story. But did that mean they were free to do what they liked? Does it mean we're free to do what we like? Well, it seemed people in Corinth did think it meant that. And so Paul picks up on this. And if you glance up at verse 1, you'll see he started this chapter by asking the question, am I free? Am I? He says, am I free? And here in verse 19, he comes back to the issue and theme, and he says, do you know something? I am free. But look at how I use my freedom. And herein lies the incredible biblical Christ-like example for every Christian in Corinth and Belfast. Here it is. Though I'm free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now last week we looked at how Paul wanted to be seen as a servant. If you were here last week, we looked at this whole concept of an under-rower of Christ. This week, he refers to the fact, you know something? I've freely made myself a slave to everyone. It's a startling comment. It's an indication of selfless humility, which is another graphic example of the imitation of Christ who, as Paul would later on say, made himself what? Nothing. And laid down his life for others. So all Paul is doing here is simply imitating his master. Making myself nothing for the sake of others. Giving up my rights for the sake of others. Giving up my freedom for the sake of others taking my responsibility seriously for the sake of others why here's the bit to win as many as possible to see lives won through the gospel you see for for paul christian freedom is not freedom to do what you want it's freedom to serve to serve god to serve each other and to serve those who desperately need the gospel. And as Paul talks about and discusses rights and freedom, he's always looking and thinking beyond himself. He's looking to the weaker in the faith. He's looking to those who have yet to come to faith. It's not about him. It's about them. And that's the challenge for me this morning. Because how often am I far more concerned about me and my rights and my freedom than I am about the needs of others, their current needs, their eternal needs? What are you concerned about this morning? What are you concerned about? Paul is willing to become a slave to everyone to share the gospel and introduce them to Jesus. 
And I found myself this week asking the question, am I prepared to go there? Am I actually prepared to go there? It's relatively easy to stand up and teach this stuff. But am I prepared to go there to become a slave to everyone to win as many as possible? Or actually, is it all about me? And Paul then explains what this looks like, what it means to become a slave, and to reach out to various groups, like to Jews and to those under the law and to those outside the law and to those who are weak. For Paul, it meant he had to become like them in order to win them. He identified with them. He drew alongside them. He entered their world for the sake of the gospel. And in a catch-all comment that has become one of Paul's most recognizable, famous, often quoted saying, he writes, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some. Now there is a statement that has confused, has been misused, even abused in all kinds of different ways. Last, uh, last year saw the release of this British film, All Things to All Men, title clearly taken from this text. It's a film about someone who manipulates different people in order to achieve a specific end goal. And there's no doubt that some people have taken Paul's phrase in 1 Corinthians 9 and used it to justify or endorse a rather manipulative approach to evangelism. That in order to achieve a specific end goal to save some, you can and you should do whatever you like, whatever it takes. Probably an even greater abuse and misunderstanding of this phrase comes whenever people compromise and twist the gospel message because they want to accommodate it and make it suit certain audiences. Whenever the fact is the message doesn't change, it remains constant, but the messenger needs to flex. He or she must be willing to lay down certain rights and use their God-given freedom to become a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That's what this means. This is not just about relevance without being irreverent. This is about actually saying, do you know something? I'm going to become a slave to everyone. Whatever that means. I'm going to walk out of here and serve people. Serve people. I love how Peterson puts this in the message because he gets it, I think, in terms of how he puts this across and helps us avoid some of the misunderstanding. I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever, get this, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. And therefore, I suppose the key challenge this morning from this text is really quite simple. I'm done. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to make ourselves, and notice Paul says, I have made myself, this is a choice. 
Nobody can make anybody do this. This is your choice. It's my choice. How I respond to this, it's up to me. Am I willing to make myself a slave to everyone? In other words, am I willing to step outside my comfort zone, walk alongside, share life with, become like without compromise or conformity, so relevant without irreverence, in order to share the gospel? Because what matters is not my rights, not my freedom, but whether or not people are being won for God. Whether our family, friends, colleagues are encountering the good news about Jesus Christ and are being rescued from darkness and brought into light. That's what matters. For Paul, it was his responsibility. And so he was willing to give up his rights, use his freedom to serve. And the question is, are we willing to imitate him? Who imitated Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve and become nothing so that others could be rescued.